Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Psalm 119. Uh, as you'll recall, we started off this, this Stuff Every Christian Needs to Know series with the study of 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16, talking about the profitability of the, the Scripture. And along the way, we talked about things like the assurance of salvation, uh, what true biblical faith is, the importance of assembling ourselves together as the body of Christ. We talked about what true biblical worship is. We, we talked about the biblical... Uh, principles of, of giving and, and finance. We talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit, how to discern the will of God. We talked about spiritual gifts, priesthood of the believer, and more. But today we really come full circle and finish the way we started by discussing the Bible. And I think that's only appropriate because for a Christian, the Bible serves as our authority. It's our, it's our love letter from, from God. It's our instruction manual for living the Christian life. Uh, the doctrinal statement of Southern Baptists, which is called the Baptist Faith and Message, says it this way. It says, the Bible reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is, and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. See, without the will of the Word of God, um, you know, I might as well be up here, you know, preaching, you know, the, the, the typical, uh, you know, tickle your ear, feel good messages. It, you know, I could have just ripped from the pages of Better Homes and Gardens or something like that. But today we are weighing the worth of the Word as we look at Psalm 119 and learn how to better appreciate the Word of God. Now, let me give you just a, a tad bit of background on Psalm 119. Uh, the author is not unknown, but most Bible scholars think it was either uh, King David or Ezra or Daniel that authored this. It's an example of what's called an acrostic uh, poem or an alphabetical poem. Uh, this particular psalm has 22 different sections, and each section begins with a letter, one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, some of your modern translations will actually list those Hebrew words, uh, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hay, so forth, and, and so on. But really, the most important thing that Psalm 119 does for us is that it reveals the psalmist's love affair with the Word of God. And in fact, using terms like uh, ordinance, statutes, decrees, testimonies, instruction, law, word, all but two of those 176 verses in this ginormous psalm actually express appreciation for the Word of God. And I think the big point, the, the, the idea behind Psalm 119 is simply this. It teaches that God's Word comprehensively addresses all human needs and situations. Or to put it more simply, God's Word speaks to all of life, A to Z. But I think the key verse that we want to use as our launching point in our study this morning is Psalm 119, verse 18. Look at what the psalmist says there. He says, open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. 
Church, I'm just gonna give it to you straight. If you do not love, know, understand, appreciate, uh, practice, obey the word of God, I can tell you unequivocally, uh, unapologetically, you will not be a victorious Christian. Knowledge is power, especially knowledge of the word of God. So three simple things I want you to take note of this morning. Three things with regard to the, the word of God. Three things that we should do. Number one, appreciate the virtues of the word of God. Appreciate the virtues of the word of God. Because if you can't appreciate it, appreciate it, there I go again. You cannot learn it. And without a desire to learn it, why even bother trying to live like a Christian? Now, the first one of these virtues that we are to appreciate is the fact that the Bible is timeless. It's timeless. I mean, it's still, even today, the best-selling book in the history of humankind. Okay, it's not one of those book of the month club selections. It is the book of the ages. And listen to what the psalmist says. Uh, verse 89, he says, Lord, your word is forever it is firmly fixed in heaven. Uh, look at one, uh, verse 152. I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. I'm sensing a pattern here. Verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. And then Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that the grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God remains forever. Other books are gonna come and go, okay? Somebody, you know, some, someday, you know, people won't even remember the, the Quran or the Book of Mormon or L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics book. All that stuff is gonna fade into obscurity. Empires rise and fall, civilizations come and go, but the word of God endures forever. Even though atheists will rail against it, Emperors try to exterminate it. As Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 25, or chapter 1, yes, verse 25, uh, it says the word of the Lord endures forever. Okay, so one of those virtues that we are to appreciate is the fact that the Bible is timeless. But not only is the Bible timeless, the Bible is truthful. Psalm 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your instruction is true. Verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. Jesus, praying for his disciples in John 17, said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, the Baptist Faith and Message, it describes it this way. It says, the Bible has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Or uh, another argument for the truthfulness of the Bible uh, is pretty simple, actually. It, it kind of goes like this, okay? God is perfect and cannot err. In other words, he doesn't make a mistake. God is perfect and cannot err. That's the first statement. Second one, the Bible is God's word. Third statement, therefore, the Bible, which is the word of God, cannot err. Okay, God's perfect. He cannot err. The Bible is the word of God. Therefore, the Bible cannot err. 
You've also heard the Bible described with terms like uh, infallible or inerrant. That word infallible, it means incapable of mistakes. If something's infallible, it's, it's never wrong. And so it's absolutely trustworthy. Uh, similarly, that word inerrant, also applied to scripture, means free from error. In other words, we can trust that the Bible is true. Sadly, though, our, our, our world has lost its desire for truth. You know, postmodernism suggests that there is no objective standard of truth, you know, because, because your, your experience determines your reality. Oh, absolute truth? Oh, there is no such thing. And it tries to tear down the truth, you know, with, with things like situational ethics and moral relativism and, and cultural relativism. Oh, that's your truth. What's right for me may not be right for you. Or what's right for them isn't right for us. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. So you're saying, since there is no absolute truth, no standard of right and wrong, it was perfectly okay for Hitler to, million, to murder six million Jews because that was actually culturally relevant for Nazi Germany. <laughs> well, of course not. Anyone with half a brain knows that there's a standard there that says murder is evil. And even, even the most evil person on the face of the earth would never dare think such a thing was okay. Folks, the Bible is still true. And the Bible still says, you shall not murder. That's Exodus 20. So there is such a thing as absolute truth. And we find it in the Bible. You see, the Bible doesn't just contain truth. The Bible is truth. But the Bible is under attack by the frontal assault of those who deny it, from the rear by those who want to substitute their own life experience for it, and from the flank by those who want to, to try to help the Bible by propping it up with, with popular psychology and, and philosophy and stuff, are, are trying to make the Bible more culturally appropriate. Even though the Bible is still as relevant today as it ever was, as if the Bible somehow isn't good enough or they want to deconstruct it. As if somehow, you know, we've, we've missed the meaning of it after 2,000 years of Christendom. Folks, if you're looking for truth, you will find it in the Bible. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 16. We referenced it earlier. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. The inspired word of God. That word for inspired, theopneustos. It's only used one time in the Bible. It comes from two smaller words, theos, meaning God, neustos, meaning breath. In other words, the Bible was breathed out by God. And in a sense, he's actually breathing it into us because it is our source of spiritual sustenance. You'll recall in Matthew chapter 4, you know, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan and he actually quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 when he says, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Old Testament contains phrases like uh, the word of the Lord, the word of God, God spoke, uh, the Lord said 3,808 times. 
<laughs> so if the Bible isn't the Word of God, I, I don't know what is. You know, if the Bible is not the Word of God, then it is the biggest pack of lies ever put into print. Your Word is truth, Jesus said. So the first two virtues that we are to appreciate are that the Bible is timeless. The second one, that the Bible is truthful. Here's the third one. The Bible is treasured. It's treasured. Because it's timeless and because it's truthful, it should also be treasured. And that was certainly the case with the psalmist. Look what he says in verse 72. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Do you treasure it? Well, you ought to. Ought to. I mean, why should you treasure it? Well, because Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it may be for some of you that the Bible is buried treasure and it's time for you to unearth it. Time for you to treasure it. I like what Willard Johnson wrote about the Bible. He said, generations follow generations, yet it lives. Nations rise and fall, yet it lives. Kings, dictators, presidents come and go, yet it lives. Torn, condemned, burned, yet it lives. Doubted, suspected, criticized, yet it lives. Damned by atheists, yet it lives. Exaggerated by fanatics, yet it lives. Misconstrued and misstated, yet it lives. It's inspiration denied, yet it lives. Yet it lives. A lamp unto our feet, a light to our paths, a standard for childhood, a guide for youth, a comfort for the aged, food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, rest for the weary, light for the heathen, salvation for the sinner, grace for the Christian. To know it is to love it. And to love it is to accept it. And to accept it means eternal life. So we appreciate those virtues of the Word of God. Here's the second thing I want you to notice from Psalm 119. We are to assimilate the vitality of the Word of God. We are to assimilate the vitality of the Word. That word assimilate, it means to take in as, as nourishment or to absorb. And of course, the word vital means alive. So we take in the life that we find in the Word of God. We bring it in as nourishment because there's something powerful in it. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and effective. That word for effective in the, in the Greek, it's energes. It, it means capable or effective, active or powerful. In fact, it's where we get our English word energy. Listen to what Jesus told the 12 in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. All right, so show of hands. Who in this room likes to cook? Okay, a good number of you. Of those of you who like to cook, which of you like to just kind of wing it and cook from scratch? Okay, a handful. Who prefers to follow a recipe? Okay, maybe a few more. Now, be brutally honest. How many of you would rather just uh, yank something from the freezer and nuke it in the microwave? Okay, honest answer. A lot of us enjoy 
using a recipe, you know, cooking from a, a cookbook. Uh, when Christy and I were newlyweds, uh, the radio station that I worked at, we had a whole stack of cookbooks, Mr. Food cookbook. You remember Mr. Food? Ooh, it's so good. Yeah, Mr. Food. And we would give them away as prizes for on-air contests and stuff. Well, I took one of them home. I started looking at it. And uh, our, our work schedules were such that I always got home a lot earlier than she did. Because I did a morning show, so I was up at like 4 o'clock in the morning to go on the air at 5.30. And uh, I'd be done at like 1 o'clock. When she would work till 5 or 5.30. So there was a lot of afternoons when I just, I'd pull that cookbook off the shelf and uh, just pick something out. To, uh, to cook for our supper. And for the most part, I would follow it step by step. It's only when I started to ad-lib that really I got myself into trouble. Um, and she would let me know about it. The thing is, you don't just browse a cookbook. I mean, if you really want that delightfully delectable dish from the Pioneer Woman cookbook to taste just the way Reed Drummond makes it, what do you do? You carefully read the instructions in order to prepare that meal, and then you follow those exact steps to make it. Well, likewise, if you don't absorb the Bible and live its instructions, no matter how much you might appreciate it, how can you expect your life to have real flavor? Because the Word does you no good if you're not actually reading it all right, so let me offer you five, five points of practice regarding your time in the Word, okay? Practical stuff here. First of all, pray the Word. If you've never done that before, just try it in your prayer time. Pray the Word. And a great place to start is our key verse this morning, uh, Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous thing, things from your instruction. Try praying the Word. You see, when you pray the Word, there's some interesting things that happen. Your spiritual eyes are going to be opened, uh, just like those two guys on the road to Emmaus with Jesus in Luke chapter 24. It says that He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Your spiritual eyes are going to be opened. Your heart will be stirred. The psalmist says in verse 36, Turn my heart to your decrees, and your mind will be enlightened. Uh, verse 73, give me understanding so that I can learn from your commands. Okay, so you pray the word. And you also ponder the word. Psalm 119, 15, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Okay, so don't just read it and then forget it. Ponder it. You know, use a journal if you need to, to collect your thoughts. Think on it. You know, when the, when the psalmist says to meditate on the word, he, he, you know, he's not talking about, you know, sitting in a, in a quiet room, cross-legged, you know, with your eyes closed going, oh, oh, that's not what he's talking about. The scriptures teach us a type of meditation that actively engages the mind for the purpose of understanding God's word. Not only that, but putting it into practice. So to meditate, it means to ruminate. Most of you know that cows are ruminants. They chew the cud, they swallow it, they bring it back up, they chew it some more, and each time they get a little more something out of it. So chew on God's Word, okay, again and again. Think about it. Process it. If you want to be spiritually healthy, meditate and ruminate on the Scriptures. 
Now let me give you tips to, to help with that, okay? First of all, and this should be a no-brainer, but carve out a specific time and place, preferably a, a place that's quiet, uh, the place that's least likely for you to get interrupted or have distractions, a place for you to get alone and meditate on God's Word. All right? As you begin to prepare to meditate, start with prayer. Ask God to help you with your meditation. Ask the Lord to draw you closer to Him, to open your eyes to His truth, to help you apply that truth in your life, and to transform you as you meditate on His Word. Okay? Then choose a section of Scripture. You know, think about what that passage means. Study it in depth so that you can understand it in context. Take notes, ask questions, you know, memorize uh, verses in the passage. Ask God what he wants to say to you through that text. And then finally, just consider how you can apply that passage to your own life in very practical ways. Use good sense when you meditate on the scripture. See poetry as poetry. See precepts as precepts. See prophecy as prophecy. See proverbs as proverbs. And which is a series of probabilities. See symbols as symbolic, figurative, not necessarily literal. In fact, those are all things we're going to talk about in the course that I mentioned earlier. Uh, here's some questions to ask of the text when you're meditating on a passage of Scripture. Ask questions like this. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray, an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? Is there something in this passage to praise God for? And as you ask those questions of the text, God is going to reveal new and different things to you. So to assimilate the vitality of the word, in other words, to, to absorb its life, you've got to pray the word, ponder the word, also preserve the word. Preserve the word. Psalm 119, 11. You know this verse. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Church, God gave you a beautiful mind. So fill it with the right things. You know, like a garden, sow seeds of the word. And then cultivate that word. And by all means, stay out of the weeds but what you plant into your mind is going to blossom in your heart and branch out into your life. So pray the word, ponder the word, preserve the word. Here's the next one. Practice the word. Ask God to help you follow through in obedience. Because the intended result of your Bible reading isn't just understanding. It's change. See, it's not enough to just know the precepts and the principles and the promises of God's Word. We have to live them, obey them. And so the more we become doers of the Word and not hearers only, the more we begin to understand. You know, and, and don't get hung up on stuff that you don't fully understand yet. But instead, be faithful to practice the things that you do understand. You know, stuff like um, love one another, See, the desired end of discipleship is change. The chief response to God's word is obedience. What's the point in reading the printed word or hearing the proclaimed word 
if you aren't going to put it into practice, if it doesn't change you. So practice the word, then proclaim the word. Look at what the psalmist says, verse 13. With my lips I will proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. Verse 46. I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. Verse 172. My tongue sings about your promise, for all your commands are righteous. Let it always be on your lips. You know, kind of like that old chorus we used to sing, pass it on. That's what Paul was telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love what the late Adrian Rogers said. He said, stow it in your heart, show it in your life, sow it in the world. Because the more you give it away, the more it will stick to you. So pray, ponder, preserve, practice, proclaim the word. We must appreciate the virtues of the word and assimilate, take in as nourishment the vitality of the word. And then here's a third. I just raised four fingers, didn't I? The here we go. The third thing. I never was good with the new math. Um, the third thing, ap appropriate the values of the word of God. Okay, appropriate the values of the Word of God. Appropriate means to take possession of. We take possession of it because of that, that knowledge, that knowledge that will transform our lives. You see, the Bible is a source of victory. It's a source of victory. Look at verse 45. The psalmist says, I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. Just as Jesus used scripture to overcome Satan's temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, the word can also be your victory. It's a source of victory. It's a source of growth. Look at verse 32. The psalmist says, I pursue the way of your commands for you broaden my understanding. Now some of you, you might come to me and say, Eric, I feel weak. To which I would reply, well, have you seen a doctor? No. Do you have a disease? No. Have you been eating right? Well, there's this church that I go to about one hour a week to get fed if it's not raining or if there's not a ball game on or if I don't have company in from out of town. Well, no wonder you're weak, spiritually weak. You see, what you get here on Sunday mornings, that's simply designed to whet your appetite. Okay? It's just one course and a seven-course meal, a seven-course banquet. I mean, if you expect that what I give you on Sunday morning is going to be your sole source of spiritual sustenance, then church is never going to be much more to you than you know, basically a social club where you go to get your weekly pep talk and you'll basically wind up spending your life as a big, fat Christian baby who's never progressed from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Feed yourself daily from the word of God. Take possession of its value. All right, so the Bible is a source of victory. It's a source of growth and it's a source of joy. Look at verse 111 in Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy 
of my heart. Jesus said in John 15, verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So it's a source of joy. It's a source of power. We referenced Hebrews 4.12 earlier. For the Lord, the word of God is, is living and, and effective. Energase, that word that means capable, uh, active, powerful. Psalmist says in verse 28 here, strengthen me through your word. Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. All right? Here's the next one. The Bible's a source of guidance. It's a source of guidance. You know verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. If you didn't know it before today, you do now because we just sang it a few minutes ago. 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says that the scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. See, we can always find our way when we choose to study and meditate on the Word of God. Okay, the path before you, it might be dark, but you have God's Word to light the way if you will trust Him. The psalmist said in verse 18, open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. It's a source of victory, growth, joy, power, guidance. And I believe that the, the big idea behind Psalm 119 is absolutely true, that God's word comprehensively addresses all human needs and situations. I believe that's true. I believe that God's work speaks to all of life, A to Z. So take possession of that victory, of the growth, of the joy, of the power, of the guidance that the Word of God offers. You can only appropriate them after you assimilate them. You can only assimilate them after you appreciate them. So folks, don't let your Bible sit around as some kind of glorified centerpiece on your nightstand or your coffee table, collecting dust. Open it up, feast on it. Let it change your life. Understand something though, church. The Bible isn't just God's handbook for Christian living and sanctification. It also contains the power of salvation. Which is why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That word gospel means good news. See, the good news is that we were created for relationship with God. Unfortunately, our sin severed that relationship, but God in His love made a redemption plan for us, a plan to make us right with Him once more. And so He became a man in the form of Jesus, God the Son, who left heaven, came to earth to live as a man, lived a perfect life, died a torturous death, and paid the penalty for our sin, and who rose again on the third day to seal his victory over sin, death, and hell. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, 
If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Then he says in verse 13, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you made that choice to call upon him for salvation? To confess him as Lord? If you've never made that decision, it's pretty simple. Three things. Repent, believe, receive. Repent, believe, receive. You repent. That word repent means you change your mind. You change your mind about the way you've been thinking. You make an about face and go the other way. Acknowledging that you've done sinful things and that you need a savior. That's what repentance is all about. We turn away from those things. Then we believe. We believe those things that, that Paul just wrote about in Romans chapter 10. We believe that Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us, rose again on the third day. We believe that when the Bible says that, when it records that as history, that it's true, that it's trustworthy. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.